Welcome to the Life on Purpose podcast, where we want to help you live an intentional life following Christ. My name is Dwayne Bauer. I'm the lead pastor of Epic Community Church and one of the leaders of Greenhouse Multiplication Network. This week, we're continuing our series on the book of Acts called To the Ends of the Earth. And today we'll be talking about the second half of the first chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verses 13 through 26. Thanks a lot for joining us today. And now, here's the podcast. My name is Dwayne. I'm the lead pastor here at Epic Community Church. I want to welcome you here in person to the gathering. And also, if you're watching from home this week, welcome to you as well. We're in the second week of our series called To the Ends of the Earth, where we're journeying together through the book of Acts. And this season is different. This kind of series that we're doing is different for us because uh, we're going to take an entire year to preach through this, this book of Acts. We've broken the book of Acts into uh, about 40 to 50 parts, somewhere in there. It's a lot. That's all I know. And with the exception of Christmas and Easter and then our fifth Sunday rhythm that we're in, uh, we'll be in this book for uh, every week, a little bit over a year. It will take us to get through this book. And I'm hoping that as we work our way through the book of Acts, that you're going to get to know the people and the places and the culture of this book like you've never known before. But really, my hope is that you're going to get to know Jesus more than you ever have before in your life. If you've never read a book of the Bible or you've never read one completely, this is going to be a great time for you to to do that. We're going to journey together and we're going to dive into your first one. So I'm really excited about this series. Uh, I'm excited about doing it together as well with you. Uh, The book of Acts, it has a main character. And the main character of the book of Acts is a person by the name of the Holy Spirit. And in this book, we get to see how the Spirit empowers his church to continue this work that Jesus had begun, right? But we talked last week about how that that work really goes all the way back to the fall of mankind, where God promises then to redeem humanity and to restore his rule over the earth. So Christianity, it isn't meant to be a new religion, It's meant to be a continuation of what God was already up to, right? And so in this book, we're going to read about the the early church. We're going to read about some of the things that it wrestled with as it lived out its mission for Christ. Uh, You know, I think it I think some of the things that the early church wrestled with are going to be relevant for us today as a church as well, as we also continue the work, right, that Jesus began. I'm going to shift gears a little bit this week. Last week, we talked a lot about the ascension of, of Jesus Uh, And, you know, kind of what that meant to this movement, this Jesus movement. Today, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to talk about some some lessons that that we can learn from the apostles about what to do in confusing times. And I think we could say that these are confusing times. Do you think that's accurate, what I'm saying? It's it's confusing in small ways right now, like whether or not to wear our mask. There's different rules for uh, for if you've been vac- vaccinated. If you've not been vaccinated, there's different rules depending on which establishment you walk in. So I don't know about you, but every time I'm looking at the door trying to figure out, do I have to wear my mask here or not? It's confusing because the rules seem to be confusing, right? And so it's confusing in small ways, but it's also confusing, I think, in big ways. Like in the midst of loved ones who have passed because of COVID, who we've lost, maybe we couldn't even spend time with at the end of their life. We, it brings up some really big questions in our lives. Like, hey, God, where were you in the midst of that? How does this fit into your plan? I don't understand. It is confusing. It's confusing in small ways. It's confusing in big ways. And last week we talked about the ascension of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus died. That's pretty confusing if you're following after him, right? And then he came back to life. 
That's even more confusing if you think about it. And then Jesus, after 40 days, ascends into heaven. He leaves his disciples behind, which I think is also very confusing to them, right? How much more confusion can we possibly take as we follow after Christ? We're going to dive into this story here to find out how the disciples respond in confusing times. So if you want to open up your Bibles or your Bible apps, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 today. We're going to be in the second half of the chapter, verses 12 through 26 today. Hopefully you read it before you got here. And that's my intention of doing it this way, right? Is that each week I'm going to give you the verses we're going to talk about next week so that you can begin to prepare your heart, which is important. Last week I was meeting with the Wild Kids team who's been preparing for months for last week's kind of in-person Wild Kids, you know, together. And we talked about we've, we've been preparing for this for weeks and weeks and weeks, and we don't know if anyone is going to show up. But here's what I do know. God seems to bless. His favor seems to follow preparation. And so when we prepare our hearts for, for God to speak something into us, he is more apt to speak to us. And I think the reason for that is because, you know, as, uh, as awesome as God is, as magnificent as God is, as big as God is, a lot of times God speaks to us in a whisper. And sometimes he'll drop a piano on our head when we need it, right? But I often, I often find in my life that's because I haven't been listening to the whisper. That's why we get to that point where he needs to do that, right? So preparing our hearts is important. And if we want to get everything out of this time that we have together, and, and we do, I think, um, we, want to come with, we want to come prepared. We want to come with our hearts prepared, right? So, so really the scripture I'm giving you, it's only going to take you five minutes to read it. Maybe a little bit longer if you take some prayer time before and after just to spend with God, right? If you're inclined to do that. But I really want you to have the scripture also just in front of you as I read through this. Because I'm reading a big section of scripture all at one time. And, and uh, I'm going to be referring back to it a lot, right? And so if you can have it open, that would be the best thing to do. Um, before we jump into the book today, I, want, I just want to prepare our hearts. So let's, um, let's pray to God just to align our hearts with him and to open up our hearts and our ears. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that we get to gather together in your name and uh, worship you. As we look at how the disciples responded in confusing times, Lord, um, we're going to see even more so than what we've already talked about, how important preparation is. And so we ask you right now, Lord, to just prepare our hearts as we begin to dive into your word, as we learn about the early church and the disciples and how they responded. We want our hearts to be open to that. Um, I believe that what the early church wrestled with is very relevant for us today. So right now, Lord, we give our hearts to you. We give our ears to you so that we can listen. And I know that you'll have something to speak to us this morning. Um, thank you for being present. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we go. Acts chapter 1. This is the second half of the book. We're going to start in verse 12. It says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. 
And in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture has to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama. That is the field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. And so he was added to the eleven apostles. So we find that Jesus has ascended into heaven here. We talked about that last week. This week we see the disciples returning back to the upper room. And the upper room is where Jesus and his disciples ate his last supper before he died. And we get the impression that this is a pretty big room because Luke tells us there's 120 disciples there. So probably, maybe, maybe a room of this size or something, if you can picture that. But, but Luke wants us to know that these 120 are the start of the church. The Christian church has very small beginnings. What started with 120 people becomes trillions of people over time. How does a movement like that happen except by the power of God? And this passage has to be uplifting to those of us who wonder if we can ever make a difference in the world, right? There were about 4 million Jews in Palestine, which means that only one out of about 30,000 or so were a Christian. So that means one Christ follower for Portland, Grand Ledge, Ionia, Eagle, Mulliken, PW area, all of that combined, right? There was one Christ follower. Now think about that for a second, right? Think about how you could be the catalyst for kingdom growth in your sphere of influence. Just one Christ follower for 30,000 people. And Luke, Luke tells us that Jesus' mom and his brothers are a part of this group. And Luke doesn't make a big deal out of this, but I want to stop for a second. I want to make a big deal out of this for a second. Because John told us in his gospel, right, that Jesus' family is skeptical of his ministry. His brothers and, and sisters didn't believe in him, Scripture tells us. Now, I read that in John, and I'm like, duh. Go talk to my sister. Try to convince her that I'm, you know, the Messiah of the world. It ain't happening. I don't know if she'll walk out on you, if she'll cuss you out. I don't know what she's going to do, but she's definitely not going to believe it, right? So it doesn't surprise me that Jesus' brothers don't believe that he's the chosen one of God, right? That would, be, that would take a lot. But, but, but here we find them in the upper room with the disciples. And then later on in this book and other books like it, we're going to read about how a couple of Jesus' brothers become leaders in the movement. And so you have to ask yourself, why the shift? Right? Why all of a sudden is there a shift in this belief of Jesus as God's chosen one? What changed Jesus' brother's mind? It had to be the resurrection. Right? It had to be. It, if I came back from the dead and visited my sister the next day and ate breakfast with her and her family, even she couldn't deny 
something's going on here, right? And that's what we see happening here. So here we see the disciples, including Jesus' once skeptical family, all gathered together in the upper room. And Luke tells us that they prayed together constantly. And that brings me to my first point of how the disciples responded in confusing times. The first way they responded was with patient preparation. Jesus told them before he ascended what they were going to do, right? They were going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth, right? So they kind of know what they're doing. But then Jesus tells them, uh, go back to Jerusalem and wait. I want you to sit and I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. Now, how long do you think that they waited before an antsy disciple said, what the heck are we waiting for? We know what we have to do. Let's go do it. Do you think they waited half a day? How long do you think it took before some antsy disciple jumped on Facebook and said, this movement is a joke. They talk about doing things all the time, but all they ever do is pray. Hashtag hypocrites. How long did it take before some zealous disciple, you know, jumped over to a different Jewish sect and started gathering together with them because they didn't like the way that the 11 were leading this movement? How long would you have lasted before you started asking yourself, what am I really getting out of this? And we talked about during COVID, right, that this is something that we are asking right now about everything in our life, everything that takes time and energy, even our relationships. We're starting to count the cost, right, of all these things in our life. And it's not bad to count the cost. In fact, Jesus would say that's a wise thing to do, to count the cost. But I think we also have to recognize the old adage that we get out of it what we put into it. I wrestled with God for the longest time reading his word. You know, if, you, if you've heard me say it before, I said it's, it read like a fairy tale to me. I would get so angry with it when I read, you know, through scripture because the character of God that I was reading about in this book, it didn't seem to align with my experience of life. If God was so loving, then why was life so hard? And if God was so good, then, then why was there so much bad in my world? And eventually I got to the point where God and I had to have a DTR. That means define the relationship, right? We had to have one of those moments. I wasn't going to give any more of my time or energy to fighting for clarity about God and his way. It was taking up too much of my mental energy, and it was painful, believe it or not. I was ready to walk away from it all, and instead, I tried something else. I'm not even sure why I tried it. But I I decided that I was going to submit my life to him and his way. I was going to live it as if it were true. I was going to put my faith in him, and I was going to give my allegiance to him as well in the process. And if he exists, then let me tell you, if he he knows me the way that he says he knows me, then he knows I cannot give my life for something I don't believe in. And so if I was going to live this out for the rest of my life, he was going to have to change something in me. He was going to have to change my mind. He was going to have to change my heart. He was going to have to change me. And it was out of this desire to want a deeper relationship with God that um, I was filled with the Spirit in a way that I can't put into words. My dry bones became life, if you will. Um, My life changed so dramatically that I was compelled to make teaching people what God was teaching me and giving my testimony about what he had done in my life. Um, That was what I wanted to give my life to. 
And about 99% of the things that pastors do, I am lousy at doing. And yet I am compelled to do it. And I'm compelled to do it for moments like this, where I get to stand here, and I get to give you my testimony, and I get to let you know what God has done in my life, and let you know that he can do the same in yours, that he can change your life, he can heal your broken heart, that he can give you freedom if you are burdened down, that he can give you uh, rest if you are restless, and he can give you purpose if you're purposeless. And I think God can open your eyes to the fact that the church isn't just an event that we attend, right? In order to, you know, please God or appease our spouse or whatever other reason that we might be coming, but that the church is the people of God and that each person who is filled with the Spirit has something to teach us about God. And that when we open our hearts to God and when we open our hearts also to His church, our life can change dramatically. But we can't compartmentalize this into uh, you know, just a God thing on a Sunday morning, right? Instead, we're making a life choice. We're, we're giving our allegiance to Jesus for our entire life. We are submitting to him, to his rule, and to his way in our life. So we, it, it's a promise that we're going to live obedient to your way, Jesus. And we're also, in, in the same, at the same time, going to give him our heart. We're going to love him. And to me, again, that means walking in here each Sunday prepared for God to speak something to us, right? What, prepared to listen to God and what, what he wants to say and then being obedient to that. You know, looking to God to guide us and, and to pinpoint maybe some things in our life that, that need to change. Uh, maybe, you know, sharing with us some things that we really need to celebrate that we've been missing or just affirming, you know, the, the journey that we're on. But when we're paying attention to it and when we have our, our hearts aligned with Jesus, there will not be a week that we walk out of this building on a Sunday where something isn't relevant for your life. And that's regardless of how good the preaching is or how good the worship band did that week or if the tech cooperated or did not cooperate. There will never be a time where we walk out of here, you know, lacking something. And so we, we see the disciples here, they go into this time of prayer as preparation so that they can be prepared for what Jesus wanted to do through them. And this was impossible, by the way, in their own strength. They were going to need the Holy Spirit for this next uh, venture that they were going to be on. And we see these times of preparation all throughout Scripture, right? Anytime Israel was going to, to uh, embark on something new, God always had a season of preparation for them. Their time in the desert was preparation for them to inherit, inherit the promised land. Even Jesus before he started his ministry, faced trials from the enemy, right? As preparation. And so I think we can follow the disciples' lead here. When times get confusing, when we don't know what to do, prayerful preparation for what's coming next is a good place to turn. And we have to be patient with it. You know, not wanting to, to run into the next season, not, not wanting to move before God tells us to move, but, but rather concerning ourselves with the alignment of our heart and our posture. Are we submitted to Jesus? And we should expect that that season, this kind of confusing season that we're in, is not going to last forever, right? It's a season that God is going to want to do some things in us and through us. And so we have to be patient, and we also have to be prepared for the next season. And that brings me to my next point. One of the things we see the disciples doing here is they put their faith in God's ability to turn things around. And so Peter here in the story, he stands up in front of this group 
And, and he says the scriptures have to be fulfilled. And he talks to them about, about Judas. Now, Judas was one of the 12, now 11 apostles, right? The high priest had bribed uh, Judas to lead, the, lead his men to Jesus so that they could arrest Jesus. In essence, Judas betrayed Jesus. That's what happens in the story. And so that's, this is the Judas that Peter is talking about here. And some say that Judas betrayed Jesus in order to force Jesus' hand to, to kind of overthrow the Roman government and so that this new kingdom of Israel would come, come into play. Some, some people say that he didn't quite fit in with the 12, and so he was a little bitter about that, and so he betrayed Jesus for that reason. Some say he did it strictly for the money. Whatever the reason was that Judas did what he did, uh, after Jesus was put to death, Judas felt so guilty about it that he hung himself. And then Peter kind of describes this grisly scene here as they cut down his body and his entrails literally spill out everywhere. And even though Luke doesn't explicitly tell us here, I'm guessing Peter's probably addressing some people in the crowd who are wondering about this whole Jesus or Judas situation. You know, my guess is there are some people who are saying, well, if Jesus was divine and if he knows all, then why did he let Judas betray him? Why didn't he avoid that situation? And maybe some were even saying, why did he call him to be part of the 12 in the first place? There was a lot of questions, a lot of confusion. And so Peter 